I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is the Tim May Podcast. This is a very special Tim May Podcast Awesome Award because this is a pregame Tim May podcast for the first time in 2020. Uh, are you, I'm not saying you're excited about Ohio State, but are you excited to actually see a real uh, football team that you cover actually play a game finally in 2020? Yeah. I mean, you know, Tim, I am excited for Ohio State because um, that's the team I cover that you alluded to that we both have for a long time. And uh, I feel, you know, really good for the people that get the opportunity to do what they love. Um, and that includes me, which is getting to go watch them play and write about it, um, you know, for the next few weeks. It's going to be a real – obviously everything is crazy. Uh, this could be a, you know, a wild sort of marathon or sprinted, sprint season. Uh, even, you know, nine, ten games still, you know, p- packing it into this stretch. It's unusual, yeah. but I'm really excited. I was going to say, her, it could be her up and wait, too, as uh, the people who cover Florida found out last week. Yeah, so COVID-19, ladies and gentlemen, has not gone away. And the restrictions, I talk about this with my guest coming up, Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald, but the restrictions that uh, the Big Ten has put in place, if in fact you do test positive uh, during the season and it's proven, you're out for three you know, three weeks. And uh, that's that's just going to be a blow for all for any team if uh, a superstar or two go down, right? Yeah, I think that you, know, you and I have talked about this a number of times uh, on and off the podcast, but I think the hope is that with the daily testing, you avoid some of the situations that um, the SEC, ACC, Big 12 have had with the contact tracing where um, you can catch it early enough to mitigate substantial losses or, uh, you know, avoid some of the crazy, un- you know, situations that happened with Nick Saban last week for the false positive, you know, since you would immediately go from the uh, saliva rapid test to the PCR test uh, and the odds of th- both of those being false positives are, are extremely long, according yeah. to the experts. Now, we'll, we'll see how that plays out over the next nine weeks. But um, I think the Big Ten is as prepared for this as you could possibly be. Uh, I, I, I think it would be preferable still if there had been a bye week built in. Um, maybe the college football playoff could actually do something to help the sport that it uh, makes all this money off of and move back into January. But I don't want to talk about all that, Tim. We got a game yeah. on Saturday. I'm, I'm with you, but hey, well, fingers crossed we got a game on Saturday, right? It's always going to be fingers well, okay. crossed on Monday, whether or not you're playing on uh, Saturday. <laughs> you know, we're recording this on Monday, and uh, so yeah. if we make any kind of like time time frame errors here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, keep us in mind. We're giving you as much content as we can here at Letterman Row. You know, before you and I, before you and I chop it up though, because there are some specific questions we want to ask you about this football, this Ohio State football team, which could be as maybe as good as we've ever seen at Ohio State. That remains to be seen. There's still some question marks on defense, without a doubt, and that have to be answered. But uh, uh, before we get into that, speaking of a team that needs some answers and has had some question marks the last many years, it's Nebraska. And my good friend Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald joined me for last year's game when uh, Nebraska was all pumped up. That was going to be Ohio State at Nebraska. That was going to be the game – 
A lot of people thought it was going to put Nebraska on the map again. Instead, it kind of became, once again, uh, the western outpost of the Big Ten. (laughs) After that game, when Ohio State held sway, Jeffrey Okuda, you know, have a game, my man. But but the bottom line is I've got uh, Sam McEwen on again. He's going to give us a little up, not a little, a big update on Nebraska, where it stands. Also, he's a voter in the AP poll. He's going to explain some of the vagaries of the AP poll the first several weeks of this year because – you know, as much as Ohio State fans want to gripe about things, Ohio State hasn't played a game yet. You know, they haven't put their foot out there on the main stage. They haven't even played Peoria yet. So uh, uh, this is like straight to Broadway on Saturday for Ohio State when it hosts Nebraska. But anyway, without further ado, here's my, here's my friend Sam McEwen from the Omaha World-Herald. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, this is a return visit by Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. Fort Sam McEwen is what I like to call him. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the Tim May Podcast again, my man. Hey, Tim. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's finally game week here. So I'm, yeah, I'm you happy. Know. I'm happy. Yeah. 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 Me too, man. I don't know about you. I, I think you're, you and I are similar. I grew up a huge college football fan in Alabama and Texas. You know, it doesn't matter where you grow up as long as you get the fever, right? But uh, right. I think you are too. I think you're along those lines. And it has been a it has been a long wait and sort of a salty kind of like interim, you know, when you're sitting here, you're waiting to maybe see the teams you really want to see play, and you're having to fill it in with these other teams. And not that Georgia-Alabama was a bad game the other night, but yeah. it has been a long wait, hasn't it? It has. It has. You know, um, I, I actually like Big Ten football. Not everybody does, but but I do. I like the variety in the league. And so yeah. um, I've had just about all my all I can watch of the Big Twelve. No offense to that league. I'm ready to I'm ready to watch, you know, and the ACC is not it, it's such a topsy turvy league that anybody can lose to anybody. Um yeah. so I'm ready for the Big Ten. You know, I think I think there's a lot of good teams in it. There's a lot of different styles. I know the league really well at this point. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating a really, a really interesting season uh, yeah. for every team except Ohio State, who I expect to win every game. Wow. Maybe yeah. that's yeah. interesting for them, yeah. <laughs> for Ohio State fans. Yeah. But I, 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 I don't know that there's going to be a lot of – there's going to be a lot of twists and turns for the Buckeye faithful unless um, – and we don't want this to happen uh, – COVID, you know, forced cancellations and stuff like that, which can happen. Sure. Um, but or Justin Fields up in 21 day quarantine, um, but they're going to be a great team. But otherwise, I think the league's going to be fascinating to watch this year with nothing but conference. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, man, you all opened like six Pandora's box boxes there at once, uh, you know. And I, I don't want to get into all of them, but this idea of a 21 day quarantine for someone mm-hmm. who tests 
what, 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 when that came out, what's just your thought about that, Sam? I mean, you know, that, that's, that's a hit for any team in an eight-team, in an eight-game uh, schedule. It is. It's, it's really hard. You know, that 14-day quarantine or a 10, if you're going by the CDC recs, right. um, you know, that, that may only miss you one game. Um, because the way that thing shakes out is if you come off a weekend and you test positive, uh, let's say on a Monday, well, you're going to miss that game. Uh, you're going to miss mon- you're going to miss the Saturday game, but then you'll be back yeah. by Thursday or Friday. So I think Jeff Brom, for example, Purdue might be back by the second game of the year. He's going to miss this one uh, unless unless the PCR test comes back negative. Um, so there's that. But when you got a 21 day deal, you're you're basically out for at least 25 percent of the season and possibly, you know, three out of eight games. And so yeah. that's that's a really tough situation. Uh, the Big Ten put it in place. I think we know why. And they say that they want to make sure that the players who are coming off of, uh, um, you know, uh, getting the disease uh, do not have heart issues. Um, well, you can track the first seven weeks of college football, and you tell me how many issues you've heard about yeah. as it relates to myocarditis. Uh, since the season began, you haven't heard any. That's not to right. say that it can't happen. The exception is always in the room. It's always in the room. Correct. But over, you, overkill. Well, it's you. You know the answer to the story. You yeah. know, if 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 in fact there were you know three to five athletes who were coming off those tests, um, you know, we would be hearing right now about something really serious happening at Memphis, for example. Or they'd say, you know, we just can't play a game here at Baylor because uh, we you know, these guys got to sit out because they have enlarged hearts. Yeah. And so it, it, now you have to be graceful to science. Things happen with science. They're just they're learning, too. But, um, you know, I think the biggest concern that was that hit all of us back in August probably wasn't uh, as big of a big of an issue. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And, and plus, you know, Big Ten fans will get, you know, will get pretty uh, exercised here, too, because, you uh, as you know, Nick Saban tested positive on a Wednesday right. and coached on a Saturday night. So, <laughs> you know, everybody has their own rules. Uh, well, I think the Big Ten antigen tests are supposed to be more accurate than yeah. the ones they're using in the SEC, which might I think each SEC school might be contracting their own tests, but um, we'll see. You know, yeah, I, I don't think I don't yeah. think Brom's going to come back negative when he gets a PCR test. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. That, 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 that's tough. I mean, you feel for anybody involved in that. I mean, you know, in that situation, and number two, yeah, health should always be at the forefront. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, hey, real quick, uh, by the way, before I jump into this, uh, Aaron Maketo, who's a good friend of my, my daughter, lives out in Omaha, and he says Crate, the Creighton Blue Jays are the biggest game in town. So are you covering the second biggest game in town? They're not the biggest game in town. Uh, trust me. Our okay. I'm just messing with you. I just thought, yeah, I, I thought Aaron. And, 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 to be clear, I grew up in Omaha. Uh, so I grew up a Nebraska and Creighton basketball fan. Back when I was growing up, you didn't have to pick one or the other. Right. So I grew up with Benoit Benjamin and, and uh, you know, Bob Harstad and Jed Gallagher and all these guys. <laughs> Loved Creighton basketball growing up. Still like Creighton basketball. They do have the best basketball team in the state. Um, and it is an absolute shame that COVID-19 hit last year because they had a chance to go to the Final Four. Yeah, uh, They were a terrific team last season, and uh, they, they really would have taken that thing, I think, all the way to uh, the Elite Eight at the very wow. least. Wow. They have a chance at the Final Four again this year. Uh, they'll be in the same tournament as Ohio State up in, uh, up in Sioux Falls, and I, yeah. I would not be surprised if the two teams played each other uh, for the title. Wow. 
That's interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, there you go. This Tim May podcast covers all the angles, even though we kind of focus on football. Hey, let's get right to it, Sam. Number one, uh, we wouldn't be sitting here today probably talking about the season opener, uh, which is just days away in Ohio Stadium. I don't think if it hadn't been for the Nebraska uh, parents and fan base and administration and the Ohio State uh, parents, fan base and administration, do you agree with me on that, the way they – demanded, in essence, a revisit of the, of, the, of the situation that wouldn't be revisited, that, in fact, football was going to be postponed until the spring, whatever that means. But uh, do you agree with me on that point that we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking uh, the start of the Big Ten football season? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think Nebraska and Ohio State worked in tandem there. Uh, Nebraska was a little bit first. Um, you know, they the, the week that it was postponed, canceled, whatever. Yeah. Um, Nebraska kind of stuck to its guns on that day when the decision was announced and they took a lot of crap for about 48 hours um, from, from the national media, from ESPN, from other sports writers who now are just covering the games. Yeah. Nebraska took a lot of heat um, and, and kind of kept everything in the game. There were some other schools that were kind of like, yeah, we want to play. But then the minute the big 10 announced this decision, they were ready to move on. Jeff Rahm, you know, uh, had, had, uh, had, submitted a plan for the spring. Boom. It happened that fast. And so Nebraska started it. Then Ohio state took up the the mantle about two and a half, three days in their parents got involved. And then Justin Fields got involved. I think, I think Justin Fields, even though he didn't, he wasn't the most vocal player. He didn't sue the league. You have to remember that he is the, he is the most visible player in the big 10. He is the Heisman trophy winner and he's quarterback of the best team. And so when you have a guy putting a petition out like that, I think there's a sense, you know, within that league, listen, we have a quarterback right here who can win the Big Ten championship, who can win the Heisman Trophy, who can win a national title, and that that's a really big deal. And yeah. uh, this is an op- – why would we turn that down and watch Trevor Lawrence get all those things? Yeah. Uh, so I think that was a big piece, Fields. Um, and then you have to give some credit to Gene Smith. I think Gene Smith put some heat on Warren – um, when they Warren put out a, oh, I don't know, a statement about two two weeks after the announcement, yeah, and then Ohio State put one out right after that, and it it was along the lines of, okay, well, uh, you know, uh, that's the commissioner now. Now here's the here's the head of the football league. Yeah, <laughs> you we know? respectfully we respectfully disagree to a certain yeah, extent. Well, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. Gene Smith's a big piece of that. You know, yes. Gene yeah. Smith is a guy that everybody knows and respects. And again, he's the AD of the best football program in the league. And in that moment, I felt like there was a, um, you know, there was, there was a statement there from Ohio state. So Ohio state pushing and it's, it's um, what do you want to call it? Uh, profile and visibility in the national landscape uh, was a really big deal. And if it yeah. had been Nebraska alone, I don't think it would have happened. I think Ohio state had to come along and push and they did. Um, and as a result, you know, Dr. James Borchers from Ohio state was sort of the, spearheaded the the medical committee and they got the thing done it's not perfect there's a lot of medical restrictions in the big 10 um but but they got it done and and here we are yeah and they got it done and yet they waited so long that now they've jammed eight games into eight weeks with a possible with a plus game at the end whatever that means i'm really curious as much to see six versus six as i am one versus one at the end of that i don't know about you uh but then past that, you know, also the, you know, the lawsuit that was brought by the, what the, some of the Nebraska players, which yeah. kind of got, which opened up and got some of those emails revealed, et cetera, I think helped, 
helped uh, grease the skid, so to speak. Anyway, here, yeah, here we are. Let's just jump right into it. I look at Nebraska. My vantage point, Nebraska is a mystery team because you got to you think they're going to be better. I mean, you know, we're well into the Scott Frost era. It's kind of like a you. You know, is it put up or shut up time for the Scott Frost era? I mean, or Scott Frost? I mean, yeah. just what's your take on that? And do you feel like this team is better compared to a year ago? Even though, like me, you've probably seen very little, if any, practice. I haven't seen any. Yeah, we got um, to see 30 minutes, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's terrific. That's and that, hey, practice in quotes in that part. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we, we've Go got ahead. like two minutes of film, but it's meaningless. They're all in slow-mo. Um, yeah, slow-mo. Nebraska's offense should be better. Uh, it was disappointing last year. Uh, they switched out their offensive coordinators because they didn't like um, maybe the, the the game week preparation and going into the game. And then when they get in the game, it was sort of a Rolodex of plays. And you know, you didn't necessarily see the the cohesiveness or the, the vision as much yeah. as on 2018. Uh, so they're probably going to fix that a little bit. Um, I think the offense will be a little bit better. Uh, they feel pretty good about two quarterbacks. Adrian Martinez should be the starter, but Luke McCaffrey is a guy that, you know, a younger brother, Christian McCaffrey, younger brother, Dylan McCaffrey, very competitive kid. Uh, they'll have a role for him. I don't, we don't really know what it's going to be, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a role. I think their offensive line is the best they've had in about five years. Uh, got a good running back, a guy that I think could play a lot for Ohio State and Dedrick Mills. Uh, receivers are kind of a question mark. Uh, tight ends are pretty good. So I think the offense is going to be pretty good. How good it is against Ohio State, it's a hard gauge, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think they'll be able to move the ball because this is the first defensive game for all these teams, and it's going to be they're going to be a little rusty. Uh, defensively, hmm. you know, they should have been better than they were last year. Uh, their three defensive linemen, their three defensive tackles, are all on active NFL rosters right now. Two of them are drafted in Carlos and Khalil Davis, and then Darian Daniels was just called up to the active 49ers roster yesterday and or two days ago. And so they lost good players. I mean, those are guys that are going to play on Sundays. They are playing on Sundays. Uh, they lost another corner who was signed to the full-time roster with the Jets. So they got four guys they lost that are playing on NFL Sundays. And, and the guys that they have replacing those four, uh, you know, they might turn out to be really good players, but you can't expect them to be just like that Yeah, um, right off the bat. And so I think defensively, they're rebuilding a little bit. Um, I'm a believer that you got to recruit defense. You got to get great, great athletes and great players. You can scheme offense a little bit. I think defensively, um, in order to be really, really good, you have to recruit really, really good players, especially on the defensive line. And they haven't, they haven't recruited um, to that level quite yet. I think they're going to get there. Um, so, you know, I think defensively they're rebuilding special teams with a grease fire last year. And I'm not kidding. It was really bad. It can't help but be better this year. Um, they used six different field goal kickers last year. So this year they're looking at two, one is a grad transfer from LSU and another one is a true freshman. Um, and then they've got to find a punter because they got to replace the punter. And, but the real issue is kickoffs. Um, so their kickoff work last year was poor. I mean, it was really bad. And, and they gave up two kickoff returns for touchdowns against Iowa and Wisconsin. Both of those plays changed those games. Um, so if they don't have a guy that can boot it out of the end zone, their kickoff coverage has got to get better or Ohio State could, could pop one of those. It wouldn't surprise me if Ohio State tries, tries to, before the game, say, well, let's just, let's just see if these guys have gotten any better at this. 
Um, because if they haven't, we're going to, we're going to hit one. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ohio state, you know, if a returner at Ohio state take one, takes one from three yards in the end zone, because what the hell let's, let's see if they're any better at, at covering kicks. Yeah. Somebody body on body. Let's see what happens. Exactly. Hey, you know, it's it's really, it's not funny. Ha ha. It's just really strange to me. Uh, you know, growing up like I did in, in, in Texas in the mid sixties and seventies and eighty, you know, Nebraska was so, was so much about defense as it was offense, you know oh, I mean? Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. except when them and Oklahoma pulled all the stops out and just went at each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, well, I remember the game. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a mystery to me why they haven't gotten better uh, a more, you know, it's kind of what drove Bo Pelini out of the job. You know, when you think about it is, you know, might drive him out of his current job. <laughs> the way things are going, but yeah, but but is it a mystery to you guys that cover the team that they haven't been able to put together that that big time defense? You know, like like days of yore. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I think part of what happened is so. Let's go back to when Bo was was fired. So Bo was fired in 2014. At that moment, Nebraska had had cycled through three defensive back coaches. In four years. Yeah. In 2015, they hire a new coordinator, Mark Banker, out of Oregon State. Great guy. Love Mark. Great guy. They got another defensive backs coach. In 2016, they have the same coordinator. They were pretty good on defense. Then that defensive backs coach gets fired. In 2017, they have a new defensive coordinator, a lot of a new defensive staff. One of the defensive pass coaches passes away. Um, he, he, he passed away from cancer, which was, yeah. which was awful. Yes. Um, and then they have to have a new one. And then in 2018, they have a new coordinator and a new defensive backs coach. So you see all of this turnover and then the roster turned over, like all of these guys that they had recruited left. Um, there were a bunch of players that didn't fit. Um, Mike Riley's staff didn't recruit the best players in general on defense. Yeah. And so then all of those guys left. Um, so, the, I mean, the defensive thing is a six or seven year narrative where they're just trying to get back to where they were, you know, when they had Randy Gregory, you know, which yeah. was like six years ago now. That's how many years Randy's been struggling with substance abuse, but I'm glad he's kind of back on the mend. Wow. Um, but it's that six, in there, man. Yeah. It's six years <laughs> yeah. that they've been dealing with not having an elite player on defense, not having, you know, not having um, continuity in the coaching staff. So it's been a real issue. And, and I think anytime you have, you know, Ohio State can cycle through coordinators, and they have, as you well know. Yeah. Um, but they have the players. I mean, they have unbelievably good players. And Nebraska just doesn't have that caliber of player. Uh, so you either need to have the great, great players, or you have to be able to have some continuity in your coaching staff. Now, Nebraska has the latter now. I think their player recruiting is getting better. But they had to switch from, you know, a 4-3, which is what Bo ran and Banker ran, to a 3-4. And, um, you know, it takes time to recruit the pieces for a 3-4, and they're finally getting there. They have, a, they, have a, they have a young defensive line anchored, well, potentially anchored by a guy by the name of Ty Robinson, who's a good player, major recruit from 2019. They expect a lot of him. Um, they got some linebackers from a couple years ago that they really like and are developing. But it's young. It's a young, you know, it's they're, the older guys on the defense are pretty good, but not great. The younger guys have the chance to be great, but they're young. Yeah. And so I think that's they're, they're caught. They're caught in, in the middle a little bit. And um, 
you know, to put it in context with Ohio State, everybody watched that Ohio State-Nebraska game last year. I don't think Nebraska thought Ohio State was that as good as it was. I didn't think they were as good as they were. And when they came in that game, it was the second drive of the game, and I think the center, Josh Myers for Ohio State, took Nebraska's middle linebacker and launched him about seven yards Yeah, on a run. I think Master Teague was the guy running. I don't know if it was Dobbins. And I'm like, this game's over. This 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 is over. There's no way. It was already seven nothing. I'm like, Nebraska cannot. They cannot handle this offensive line. Yeah. Uh, they, and they didn't. And I and and honestly, isn't Ohio State's offensive line going to be just as good this year? So I I don't know how. I think the big challenge is going to be stopping Ohio State's run game without putting eight guys or nine guys in the box. And I don't, I don't know if Nebraska can do that. I just. Um, that's the thing is that when you go when you go against an elite offensive line like Ohio State and Wisconsin, I still think Nebraska has a ways to go and being able to handle the the down in and down out wear and tear that comes from facing Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and those guys. Yeah, from basically lining up and keeping a team from just beating on you all the way down oh, the yeah. field. I mean that because the thing that stands out about this offense, I've said this on the record many times, Sam. Ohio State's offense is as deep a roster. Even defensively, there's deeper roster. I'm talking about of quality people. I didn't mean they've got an Orlando Pace up there. You know, you know, you know yes. what I mean by deep because you you cover football yeah. as I've ever covered at Ohio State. And uh, you know, even the defensive backs coach or safeties coach Matt Barnes the other day when I was asking about it, he referred to these young receivers they've got as electric. I mean, yeah. I mean they've got guys just like you're talking about. Nebraska's got to be worried about stopping the off-tackle play, as the old saying goes. I mean, oh, yeah. they got to worry about inside zone, outside zone. But then you got to worry about these guys on the outside, which may be as deep a set of wide receivers as I've ever covered at Ohio State. Uh, we're there on par with Alabama's group, which is pretty pretty darn fantastic right now, as we, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, remains to be seen. But that, to me, is the big challenge for Nebraska, as you just pointed out. I wanted to get to this, though. Uh, uh, the battle for the quarterback job, how does that help or hurt Nebraska, do you think? I mean, you know, people keep looking at Adrian Martinez. This should be his this should be his uh his champagne year. And yet you got McCaffrey transferring in from Michigan and you're going, Wow, this is an interesting comp will competition make Martinez Martinez better, do you think? So this is Luke McCaffrey, not I mean, Dylan. Donald oh, not Dylan. Dylan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Luke, Luke is the youngest of the four McCaffrey brothers, and they recruited him out of high school. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I about, get them mixed up, man. That's all right. The, the interesting thing about Luke is that he play, he didn't play quarterback really, really, really until his senior year, because Dylan was the quarterback through Luke's sophomore year, and then they had another guy, I think Steve Stenstrom's son who was Blake Stenstrom, who was a quarterback, I think, Luke's junior year. And then Luke didn't play quarterback, 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 I think, until his senior year. So, anyway, the thing about Luke that people really like is, A, he's really smart, so he understands the offense, and, B, there's just a lot of infectious energy that goes with him that can just kind of get you – that can just get a team going. Yeah. And it's the energy that the youngest kid in a family would have. It just – there's a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. There's a little bit of whatever. Martinez is pretty cool. So he's he's a little bit more, um, you know, laid back, California, a uh, little bit, little bit more introverted in that way. Um, and so I think it's probably been good to push him a little bit, I uh, out of that shell into the into a little bit more of a, you know, coaching everybody else on the field. Yeah, uh, Luke's good at that. Uh, 
Martinez has to, A, has to stay healthy. Has to. Uh, when he gets banged up, he's not really the same player. Now, you could say that a lot of people, but but he's not. Like he's When he's injured, you can tell, and he's not as good. Um, so, one, he's got to stay healthy. Uh, two, he's got to he's got to trust his receivers a little bit more because I think at times last year when stuff wasn't open, you know he wouldn't be patient and let routes develop and he'd throw into traffic and and all that and he's got to get better there. And and three, he's got to not turn it over quite as much. Um, Martinez has all the physical ability in the world. Ohio State fans saw him in 2018, so they know what he can do physically. He had a great game that day. Outplayed Dwayne Haskins that day. The problem with Martinez last year is he a got banged up, b he was his receivers weren't very good, and c he he does turn it over a little too much, and he, yeah he's got it he's got to not make, you know it's it's natural for a, a quarterback to turn it over once a game whether it's a fumble or an interception it's probably going to happen, but you can't make the two and the three pit in mistakes and and Martinez has had a has had an issue with forcing in traffic and making throws that are not only unnecessary, but they're on like first down. Yeah. And, and those are always the hardest, you know, it's third and 17 and you're at somebody else's 33. Maybe you got to do something to get yourself in range. There's been some situations where they're first and 10 at somebody's 23 and he's throwing a pick. That's not the time to, that's not the time to press. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think he, he's got to get better at knowing down and distance and all those things. If he improves there, I think he's going to be their starter and, their starter all year, but, but Luke, I think will have some sort of package. He's a good runner. He's fast. Uh, and, and he can throw on the run. I, you know, Luke, I don't know. We'll see. We don't know how good of a pocket passer he is. We haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. He's thrown a couple of screens in the pocket. Um, we'll see how good of a pocket passer he is, but on the run, he's dangerous. He, you know, he's, he's, he can't catch him really. And he can, he can throw on the run. So they'll have something for Luke. We don't know what, um, and they may not show it all against Ohio State. You know, it uh, kind of depends on the, the game. If Ohio State gets up 21 nothing early, and they might, um, you know, how much do you want to show? Yeah. Hey, when you're sitting out there last year, game day was there. You know, you could feel the energy before that game, et cetera. Uh, and as that first half develops, and then, I, in my opinion, the exclamation point was when Jeffrey Okuda has an interception when he's laying on his back. Sometimes things aren't meant to be, right? I mean, is, was that was that the sense in the stadium last year over there? I mean, because you know everybody was hyped. What well, well, was it? Sort of falsely based hype. Yeah, if they if they'd finished that drive off and scored a touchdown, you yeah. know, maybe that game takes a different trajectory. Um, you know, maybe it's a much more interesting game for quarters two and three. I still think Ohio State would have pulled away and won. Um, that that play kind of took all the air out of the stadium. Uh, certainly deflated Nebraska's sideline. Um, the biggest challenge that Nebraska had in that game is that they couldn't stop. They simply could not stop the run. Yeah, it had to be a scoring contest. Is what it had oh, to be. Yeah. yeah. Any anytime you're giving up, I mean, who are we kidding? If you're giving up what they gave up in that game, which by the way was 368 rushing yards at 6.9 yards a clip. Well, not going to win. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you what, though, man, when they jump, when Nebraska jumped in the eye there, it'll be an homage to the old days. Yeah. And the success they had was – it was – Ohio State clearly was scrambling on defense. I mean, you could see it. Like, what the hell is this, you know? Yes. And, uh, and it so was cool. It was cool I, for a moment. I think Scott Frost had a nice – had a nice uh, – uh, as, as a uh, – 
a music director would say he had a nice score going there. You know, I'm talking about the actual musical yeah. score, but you still, the trumpet still have to come in on time, you know, and, uh, and that overthrow, that slight overthrow uh, that didn't got tipped and Okuda intercepted, you go, oh my goodness, you know, and you're right. It was almost like everything that could go wrong went wrong. Otherwise, uh, you know, and they had Chase Young, you know, yeah. and that, that's a big, oh, yeah. I mean, Chase Young fleeced Nebraska last oh, yeah. And uh, that was maybe his best game other than Wisconsin. And then Okuda made a great interception. The first interception was an elite play by him. Yes. And then, they, you know, the second one was kind of lucky. But, um, again, it, it's, some, it's just players making plays. And then, you know, Nebraska's defense did not have the whatever uh, to slow Ohio State's run game down. That's just yeah. – Again, Ohio State is a really, really special offense. I think you can get at them defensively um, eventually, but you've got to get four, five, six, seven drives into a game. That takes time, and that also takes you making stops because by the time you get into their defense and you kind of sink your teeth into them, you can't be behind 35 to three. Yeah. yeah. So the biggest challenge with it's kind of like, you know, that's the biggest challenge with Ohio State. You can get their defense. But you, you do it, you know, multiple drives into the game and you have to hang in there until then. And most teams just have not been able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, let's get some uh, – uh, you vote in the AP poll, don't you? Do you still I vote do. in the AP poll? Yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, uh, I was really interested uh, last week when I was talking about it, how Texas A&M beats Florida and Florida still ranked ahead of Texas A&M in last week's poll. I don't remember where those two teams were this week. Same, I think it's the same situation. Um, same thing, yeah. But you're a poll voter. I, I would think you're a sane guy. You probably still – you voted Texas A&M ahead of Florida, didn't you? No, I didn't. You didn't? No. Uh-uh. Reasoning? Reasoning for that? Just um, Well, I so I have a formula that I use um, that, that stacks all that stuff together, and I go based on opponent and where they play the game and just uh, game control. And like how long they were in control of the game, gotcha. rushing yardage, things like that. And Florida just ends up higher on that list. It's a really tough, it's a really tough year. Yeah. Um, it's the toughest year. And I should say, no, AM is ahead of Florida um, in the AP poll. They, yeah, they, yeah. They moved, AM moved from 11 to 7, and Florida stayed where they were, and AM beat Mississippi State. So, yeah. 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 Well, here, here's but the, it may have something I mean, to do with beating Alabama. I, you know, I don't know. It, it, at the end yeah. of the day, I think if Florida and AM played again, they played in Florida, it'd be a different result, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm sure it'll, it'll adjust over time. I'm not, you know, uh, as AM racks up more wins, as their loss against Alabama looks better and better and better, um, you know, I, I imagine that'll happen. Yeah. I didn't mean to get into that section of that because I quit You're reading okay. the poll. I quit reading the poll after I read down and saw Georgia still in the top five. You know what I mean? I'm just going, uh, they got, you know, they took a, took a lead over Alabama and then just got bushwhacked in the second half. And, and I'm just thinking a one loss team, no matter how good you think that team is, it just got beat by 41, 24, you know, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not talking about you, how you voted there one way or the other, but uh, what sense should people, this is, this is the strangest year of all time because every, you know, Ohio State fans want Ohio State up there number two or number three. They haven't played a game yet. As much as we're sitting here and we're talking about how good Ohio State's offense can be, if and if they replace these defensive guys, you know, they've got a, a lot of big shoes to fill on the defensive side, they but they haven't done it yet. So 
what kind of conundrum did that put a, a poll voter like you in, you know, the last several weeks? A really big one. You know, I, um, what I did is, is I had Ohio State number one preseason. Yeah, I saw when that. you're able to vote for him again, I reinstalled them at number one, and then I systematically moved them down as games were played. So right now, Ohio State's fourth. Yeah. Um, it, it would be very hard at this moment to reinstall Ohio State at number one, regardless of what they do against Nebraska. If they beat Nebraska handily and then they beat Penn State by 40, um, then they're probably going back to number one. So, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, 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 you have to kind of judge the performances in a, in a vacuum. But what I tend to watch again is that um, I tend to respect run game, run defense, uh, game control, um, time of possession. I know not everybody loves that, but I do. Uh, efficiency on third down and red zone, um, pretty good in the special teams. And so I try to judge it, engage it based on that. And then who you play, right? And so historically, yeah. this this year is an exception, but historically, I've been very biased against group of five teams, not biased. I choose against them because of the teams that they play and, and sort of the, you know, the competition that they're facing week in and week out. This year, I have far more teams in that list, in part because it's hard to rank, you know, um, 5-0 and SMU at down. When and when compared against, uh, gosh, two and two South Carolina, that's tough. Yeah, yeah, that's a really yeah. tough deal. So, um, I, I, you know, if if South Carolina and SMU played, I'm sure it'd be a really good game. I don't know how to. It's not an easy thing to process out. So we're doing the best we can this year. I think by the end of the season, it'll suss it'll shake itself out, and you're going to see a pretty standard ranking. Um, yeah. Some teams will snake through, but but once SMU loses or or Cincinnati loses, they won't be as ranked as high as they are. I mean, Cincinnati yeah. and SMU are probably not among the top 18 teams in the country, but yeah. you know, we'll see. I, I, I just look at it, this is a year of the usual suspects, I do believe, because I do believe this is a year when the creme de la creme of college football probably you know stays stays that way. Alabama obviously has problems on on defense. This may be the best Alabama offense of all time. I mean, just the way they can strike, yeah. et cetera. It's crazy. And uh, we know Ohio State's loaded personnel-wise. We saw what, what Clemson did to what I thought was a respectable Georgia Tech team. Oh, my gosh. That looked like the A team versus the C team. That was yeah. that was so, wow. You know, and then whoever emerges from the uh, Big 12 or, or Pac-12. Pac hey, uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you before I ask you your last question. Uh, the Pac-12 is it is it waiting too long to be to be in the consideration, or what? What's your take on that? November seven is a long time from now. It's probably too long. You know, it's going to be hard if anybody if if anybody in the Pac-12 loses a game, uh, it's going to be hard to put any of those teams in the playoff. That'd be the best yeah. way to put it. Is it's just uh, you're probably not going to be able to slip up. So USC, Oregon, if those two teams, you know, if they go undefeated and they play each other for the conference crown. Um, you know, I, yeah. I think the winner might be in the playoff, but anything yeah. short of that, I just don't – I don't see it. I don't see but it. I, yeah, I keep telling people, though, Alabama hadn't played 10 games yet as proposed. You know what I mean? I mean, no, this COVID-19 thing, you keep, wanting to, you keep wanting to, like, project like it's a regular year. You don't know who's playing from one week to the next, really, like with Florida, right. et cetera. So, we'll see what happens. Hey, last thing, uh, how do you see it playing out Saturday? Uh, just, 
you know, you don't necessarily have to give me a prediction, but how do you see it playing out Saturday in Ohio Stadium? You know, the it's going to go from the horseshoe to the world's largest echo chamber. You know what I mean? With sure. you know, just the parents pretty much there, and maybe family of the coaching staffs, et cetera. But uh, um, how do you see it playing out Saturday? Well, you know, I think um, I think it it comes down in some ways to to the early start of the game. If uh, if Ohio State can come out and they they roll early, they're they're probably going to pull away and win by 28, 31 points. It yeah. just won't surprise me. Uh, if Nebraska is able to have success early and kind of you know kind of trade punches, yeah, in the first quarter, um, and I think you could have. I don't think you're going to have a, a necessarily a repeat of the twenty eighteen game, but I think it'd be a good game. I mean, I think I think Nebraska has some offensive pieces. I don't think they're there. I don't think their offense is afraid to play Ohio state. Um, I think they're, they feel confident in the plan that they're going to put together. They think that they have better players than they did last year. And they're right about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a, they've got a freshman um, receiver they like and some other things. Um, but if they get behind early, then, then Nebraska has to consider, has to chew on the possibility of, well, you know, how much do we want to show? We got Wisconsin next week. We're down 24 to three. Can we slow Ohio state down? Probably not. What do we want to show? So yeah. it, it becomes challenging in that way. Yeah. So for Nebraska to kind of really stick in this game, they got to have success early um, or, you know, try to start. And then they've got to try to elongate the game. I, I think if you go again in, in this game and you're, you're running super fast tempo against Ohio state and you're not successful, um, you're asking for it. So, you know, we'll yeah. see how it all plays out, but I think uh, I think Ohio State's probably going to win the game. I think Nebraska will probably play pretty well, um, but but they can't match um, you know Ohio State's talent. Yeah, nobody, no, maybe some people know as much as you, but nobody knows more than you. I think about the, than the Big Ten. Just give me one quick prediction: who wins the Big Ten East, and who who wins the Big Ten West, and plays uh, proposedly plays uh, December nineteen in Indianapolis. Ohio State wins the Big Ten East. Mm. Is Minnesota for real? I think they're going to be pretty good. Yeah. Wisconsin wins the Big Ten West still. Ohio State Deja vu. Wisconsin for the Big Ten title. Deja vu all over again, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sam McEwen. Thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast once again, man. It's always a treat. I appreciate Thanks, it. Brother. Take care. I'll, uh, I, uh, maybe I'll see you on Saturday. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see, man. If, if, if you do, keep your mask up, would you? I will. Oh, I will. Just give me <laughs> I'm worried about that. Yeah, we're masking up here in Nebraska, too. I know. We don't have a state mask mandate, but but people here are being fairly responsible. But right. is California Taco still open? I mean, out I there? I, I live in Lincoln, okay. so. Oh, I can, yeah, that's right. What am I is. talking about? I'm yeah. guessing it is, but yeah. I'm, guessing, I'm guessing that they is have. Is Misty still open? Is Misty it's, still open? As far Misty? as I know, yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. Yep, tell, Cal tell Taco today that. opens at 11 a.m., so, yeah, they're open. Uh, tell, well, tell everybody Misty's Tim May said hi, would you? All right, I will. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Sam. Take care. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to – has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, Sam McEwen, I'm telling you, awesome. 
he he knows as much about a Big Ten football and definitely a Nebraska football as any man alive. I'm not saying he knows more than any man alive. You follow my drift there. There's always somebody who comes walking in and out of the desert. But uh, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, the question marks are still there for Nebraska, even at quarterback, even with a returnee like Adrian Martinez. You've got Luke McCaffrey sitting there. And I got so wound up, I was uh, uh, mistaking Luke for his brother Dylan, the, you know, when I was talking about, you know, transfers, et cetera. But, you know, this is a kind of a put up or shut up year a little bit for Scott Frost. Do you agree? Yeah, I think, you know, from afar, my skepticism with Nebraska is tied to Scott Frost. I thought when he arrived there that bringing the entire coaching staff with him from UCF was a huge mistake that, um, an unforced error that set them back. Those guys were, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they were all very fine coaches, but they were also all at that level for a reason. And they Wait, let me games. were yeah. they were they out of their league? Is that what you're trying to say? You know, I, I think <laughs> I'm joking. Try, man. Trying to take a, a a complete staff from that league, whole cloth, and then to go compete in the Big Ten is a completely different animal. It's a different recruiting area. Yes. It's, different, it's much higher level competition. I thought that that you know loyalty is is great and it's a fantastic quality to have in a human being but it doesn't often lend itself to success for college football coaches um you know you think about when urban meyer had his most success and and starting over at ohio state was not bringing as many comfortable you know familiar faces possible one or two um great but you think about his highest level of success it was finding an outsider like tom herman it was bringing in chris ash to help uh, coordinate that defense ahead of the title season. I could go on and on, but you yeah. know, sometimes I just felt like that was a very strange move for him, and it really set Nebraska back. So we'll see where they are on Saturday in terms of that rebuild. It's probably not fair uh, for them to have to be compared to Ohio State at the peak of its powers, you know, on the road in Week One with all the new stuff that comes with that this year. But um, you know, I, I I have some doubts about. You know, Scott Frost had just started with a decision that I thought was, you know, probably came from the best intentions, but it was not the, the right thing for Nebraska. A little trivia, a little trivia for folks out there. Uh, 2011 was the last time Nebraska beat Ohio State and oh, the only time Nebraska's ever beaten Ohio State and the last time Michigan beat Ohio State. What do you think about that little trivia? Well, Interesting, huh? The, the last think... eight years at Ohio State have been. I, th- oh, I have a hunch that that streak is going to continue, Tim. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Saturday, I do believe that. Well, let's just jump right into it because we want to talk about the Ohio State football team, uh, the second team under the under the direction of Ryan Day. Uh, first question I want to ask you, I want terse, succinct answers to these things. Who will, be a, who will be a player that people know very little about right now who will emerge uh, on this 2020 Ohio State football team as a Let's call it, I mean, as a star. Who who will be a guy that will not just play a lot, but maybe emerge as a star? Give me one name. I think nationally most people don't know about Josh Proctor the way that you and I do. Um, and that you position stole my name, man. I know that I but I I've touched on that before last week, and I, I think the same applies to Cameron Brown or Seven Banks. Yeah. You know, our our audience here is going to be finely in tune with you know, the recruiting and, and the young guys coming up through the system. But in terms of becoming a national household name, I think all three of those new new defensive backs, Seven Banks, Cameron Brown, Josh Proctor, can all become national stars because they're about to build their draft resumes 
and go through the roof. It will not just be Sean Wade in the back of that secondary. Okay, this may this may may not totally qualify. I'm gonna throw it in there. Everybody knows Zach Harrison. Zach Harrison played more and more as the year went on last year and made some play. The guy that I am interested to see take that next step if he can stay healthy is Tyreek Smith. Tyreek Smith. I think he has the goods to uh, at at defensive end to become a little bit of a terror because he definitely has that step about him, that step to the quarterback that you can't coach. And I'm interested in watching him. Everybody knows about Jonathan Cooper, Tyler Friday, a lot of these guys. Tyreek Smith is the guy I've got my eye on. Number two, who of these young, I'm talking about freshman receivers, we know about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I've talked about Jameson, Jameson Williams until uh, I'm cross-eyed. You know, I, just, <laughs> I think he will emerge as somewhat of a, of a playmaker for Ohio State. There's so many of those guys there, though, you've got to get the ball to. Too bad you can't cut it up and throw to three guys on the same play. But I digress. <laughs> who, of the four, who of the four freshman receivers, and only name one, don't name any of the other guys in any kind of like uh, – in any kind of like explanations, give me one name of the four freshman receivers that you think will emerge uh, as a regular and possibly jump onto the national scene. That's not fair, Tim. No, just give uh, me one. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, no. I, I have heard more about Jackson Smith and Jigba since he arrived in January and it, it, even just those three practices in March than anybody else. I'm not allowed to name any of the others, so I right. won't. Exactly. But Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, is the most – the combination of physical readiness, mental readiness, experience at a high-level Texas high school football, uh, knowledge of the offense, I think he is the most ahead, and I believe he will have a chance to get more touches than any of the other four. Did I tell you about – when I went ah, – I want to keep I, going. I, I, drive, I, I was driving back and forth to Texas a lot when my mom was going through her ordeal, and uh, and I was in at a Lufkin uh, – a gas station and there was a guy sitting there and he had a car and he had license plates and at the bottom of the license plate said Rockwall. And I went, Jackson Smith Jigba. And uh, and uh, he went, great player. He just, I thought it was his first, we had never met, you know, and yeah. and the rental car I had actually had North Carolina place, so we had no idea. I said, <laughs> I said, I said, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I know about him. And it was pretty funny. The first thing out of the guy's mouth was great player. So I agree with you on that. My, my, uh, my pick is Julian Fleming. I think he looks the part. Things I'm hearing is he's catching the ball, which is key for a wide receiver. And I'm telling you, you know, just like with G. Scott, these guys – oh, I named two, sorry. Uh, let's throw Mookie Cooper out there too for the heck of it. But uh, these guys, they look the part. I mean, Julian Fleming looks like he's ready to play college football. The little bit we got to watch him uh, in the spring and then and, and, and in that preseason practice we got to watch 30 minutes of – I'm uh, – I'm impressed by June Fleming. I think he has the goods. Okay, defensive tackle. Who will emerge at defensive tackle and be that guy they've got to rely on, at least in a two-deep situation, to offer, uh, for want of another term, relief for Tommy, Tommy Togia, et cetera? Uh, that's, the, that's probably the biggest question that's facing this team, Tim. And I think that, you know, with if you – Antoine Jackson made – a mistake. He doesn't view it as a mistake. You know, as part of his process, he made the decision. He, he probably would have been better off using four or five years at Ohio State. But if yeah. he still gets three of them with Larry Johnson, that's enough time for that coaching to take an impact. You know, he he had, he also battled injuries since he got here. So, you know, this guy was uh, recruited by Larry Johnson twice for a reason. 
I think that he's got a chance to really help there. He can go back and forth between, you know, that nose or the three technique spot. I think somebody else is going to have to kick inside at some point for Ohio State, whether that's Tyler Friday, as I've said a lot, or, you know, maybe it could be somebody like Tyreek Smith at times or Jonathan Cooper. We'll, we'll see exactly how the Buckeyes elect to play that. But I think the guy right now, assuming that, you know, Haskell Garrett or Teron Vincent are not ready for week one or two, which we don't know that at this point, uh, exactly how healthy they're going to be, then Antoine right. Jackson is going to have to be uh, a key contributor for these guys right away. I, I, my answer to that is Haskell Garrett. Uh, whether he's ready for week one remains to be seen, as you just said. Imagine the story if this guy comes back and plays like we think he can play, and he was on track to be one of those major major domos until he got shot in the cheek. Right. Uh, the bullet went in one side, I guess, and went out the other. The way you understand it, he's lucky – He's a lucky, lucky young man, but uh, his uh, recovery, I think, has been pretty, has been pretty strong. And uh, but he's a guy. What a story that will be. But number two, I think he was going to. I think he was ready to step up and be that regular, uh, big time uh, contributor this year. So I'm picking Haskell Garrett, uh, tight end. You know, four tight ends. You can't play four tight ends, even even with twelve personnel. I mean, who? Who is going to be the tight end we're talking about at the end of the year as being that big-time, over-the-top contributor that maybe takes this offense to another level? By that, I mean, forget about in the running game. Uh, I'm kind of setting you up here. But uh, forget about in the running game. If you can get the tight end involved in the passing game receiving with that electric group of receivers, wide receivers, as uh, Matt Barnes, the safeties coach, calls Ohio State's receiving group, who is the tight end that everybody's going to be talking about at the end of the season? You know, I know what the sexy answer is, but I don't, I don't think that it will be uh, Jeremy Ruckert. I, I think Luke Farrell is underrated, and he's the one that we should maybe be talking about more. And that's not – I'm not taking anything away from Jeremy Ruckert and what he could provide in the passing game, and he's taken a lot of steps forward as a blocker. He's going to be on the field a lot. But – I think the overall trust level from Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day is still higher with Luke Farrell, and he he just doesn't get enough credit for what he can do. I know that earlier in his career, he you know put a couple balls on the ground, didn't didn't make every catch that was thrown his way. He he is right in that Vanette Hireman mold, and I think that um, if I was picking somebody that's going to have the most impact from tight end, I. I think it's the veteran guy, and that's you know it's it feels weird that like that's not the most common answer, but I you know I think that you know the NFL talk, the people that I've uh, that have watched practice, they love what Ruckert provides, but they still think that you know for him to have been a three year and, and go to the NFL guy that that was premature. The physical maturation, you know, he still needs a little more time, and and Farrell is the one who I think is that guy that Kevin Wilson leans on. Yeah, you need a lot. You need some more physical maturation. If in fact most of the time you're going to be blocking, I think Jeremy Rucker is ready to explode. I mean, that's my my take on it. I mean, Urban Myers, you have on the Thursday night. Uh, what do you call that? The third? What's that Thursday night show? The uh, weekend kickoff. Brought to weekend you by kickoff. Brian Wait, yeah, say it again. Weekend kickoff brought to you by Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems. Yeah, I know. I want you to get the whole plug in there. Is what I'm saying. But uh, you know, <laughs> I think Urban Meyer has basically said on several occasions, Jeremy Ruckert is as talented a tight end as maybe he's ever recruited. And uh, that's a lot of guys when you when you consider the group. Some of that group is infamous, as we well know. 
But uh, but the bottom line is, I think Rucker in this offense, if they go to twelve personnel a lot, I think Rucker's going to be that uh, that guy is going to swing out and uh, uh, you know skinny posts, et cetera. Maybe rule the middle of the field and just give Ohio State offense that much more of a threat for the opposing defense to deal with uh, this year. Uh, I think Jeremy Ruckert, Jeremy Ruckert is my answer. Uh, now let's go um, running back. Who will, who will emerge as Ohio state's go-to running back uh, like JK Dobbins ended up being a year ago, who will, there will be, in my opinion, it's a two horse race with master Teague, the third and uh, Trey Seymour. Uh, uh, who, in your opinion, is uh, is going to emerge as the running back? I think it'll be Trey Sermon. I think his upside um, it, it just is is higher than Master Teague. What he can provide as an overall well-rounded player. I you know I'm not saying that Master Teague can't catch the ball off the out of the backfield. He can. He can certainly pick up blitzes, and he's going to get you some very tough yards with that you know that one cut and go style. But you really really liked him. There's yeah. nothing at all wrong with Master Teague. I just think, you know, in terms of high-end speed production, not coming off of an Achilles tear, uh, you know, the the familiar offense at Oklahoma, the career production that's that's clear for them with 25 touchdowns, um, that ability to catch the football and do different things. I think there's there's going to be plenty of opportunities for both of them. I I always think back now to. Uh, the Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins dynamic. I don't think you can have a true <laughs> split, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And if you're and if you're talking about the guy who I think could be the next level threat <clears throat> uh, alongside Justin Fields in the backfield, to me, it's Trey Sermon. Yeah, you know, I'm going with Teague just because I want to take the other side. You know, kind of like what they have to do on these talk shows. Even, <laughs> I mean, I really, I think these guys are both going to play a lot. I think you agree with that. Yep. And the interesting thing about this is, as, uh, as as colossal as this Ohio State offense looks, when you consider the fact that your two running backs, one's coming off a knee injury and one's coming off an Achilles, and you're thinking they're going to both carry the mail for you for the year, I mean, I think they both feel very sound, as they'll say, and go sound as a pound, as Austin, uh, as Austin, uh, what's his face would say, uh, what was it, the, uh, uh, you know, Austin, what's his name, uh, the uh, the crime fighter. The crime fighter, yeah. Austin Powers. Yeah, Austin Powers. Man, I'm having. I just called Trey Sermon Trey Seymour. So I'm having a. Suddenly, I'm having one of those. I'm gonna go get a COVID test. This is when you get to have that reminder that you're filming again on Monday. It's the case of the Monday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, it's it's a lot to ask. That's why I think the the coaches will play both of these, like you just said, and play both of them a lot. Question is, who's going to be on there on third down when you really need it? You know. Uh, I'm going to just lean to Master Teague III just because I think he is like seeing the light in terms of what he has to get done as a running back. And, you know, the, as he said, the Clemson game was an eye-opener for him that, you know, part of his game just wasn't good enough, you know, for one of another term. And I think he's ready to go. Boy, physically he certainly looks apart. Okay, last question. Uh, there are many questions but about this team, even though we think it's a stout team. Terry Combs, as a defensive coordinator, you know, it's been a long time since he's called plays, if you want to call it that. Uh, how, you know, the gist I'm getting is things have gone extremely well in that defensive meeting room. When you consider you got Greg Madison sitting there, you got Larry Johnson uh, sitting there, you got Al Washington 
you know, just coming on, you know, as a, as a coach, et cetera. Matt Barnes, you know, Matt Barnes, what a refreshing guy to talk to, right? Yeah. Agreed? But uh, <clears throat> Kerry Combs, as a defensive coordinator, do you think it will be it will be a defense by committee like they're kind of portraying it, or will it be a my way or the highway kind of thing like they kind of suffered through with Greg Schiano that one year when he really didn't want much input from the other guys, and Ohio State paid the price for that, I do believe, in 2018. What is your take on Kerry Combs as a defense coordinator? Yeah, I, you know, Kerry Combs, you don't get to where you are in this profession without a little bit of ego, but his is a healthy, um, healthier ego in that he is not afraid to work with other people. He's done that throughout his entire career. And I don't think that from my experience, from your experience, that he wants sole credit or sole say over what they do every single week. And it, Greg Madison has got to be one of the least heralded coaches in the country right now. Um, You know, Jeff Halfley got all the plaudits a year ago, deserved it. He's a bright guy. But Greg Madison was very involved in what they were doing on a week-to-week basis without ever having to publicly say a lot or maybe it's because he does he's not really an active recruiter. They have other guys that handle that. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but Greg Madison is a very, very sharp guy. Al Washington knows exactly what he's doing. You don't have – Kerry Combs doesn't have to meddle in the defensive line. He's going to give Larry Johnson, you know, the chance to do whatever he needs to do. So, you know, he wasn't brought in to overhaul a defense, to, you know, become a dictator, to bring in a new scheme or anything like that. And Kerry Combs knows how to fit in uh, and what this team needs. And he now has some added, you know, expertise that he can provide after that those two years with yeah. the Titans and some very bright people down there. So I wouldn't expect – uh, anything less than the silver bullet staying at that that high standard with Kerry Combs, and that it'll be a collaborative effort. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see just how the game is called. It is a collaborative effort, but I'm just curious to see if Kerry will be a little more aggressive up front. You know, what, what, you know, what do they do? I mean, they were fairly aggressive last year, but you know, when you've got a guy like Chase Young, you don't have to be you don't have to be stupid aggressive. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, because pressure comes. You when you got uh, Chase Young, Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell. And uh, well, there was a it was a kind of a roll you know rolodex of guys playing at the other end spot. You know now you got Jonathan Cooper back, but but this year maybe they need to up that you know throw a little salt and pepper a little more a little more into the into the juice there a little bit uh, the booyah base to kind of keep teams off off track until maybe uh, Zach Harrison and Jonathan Cooper and our Tyreek Smith really assert themselves as putting pressure on the quarterback without having to throw the kitchen sink at them. I agree with you, and I I think this is almost tailor made for Kerry Combs and his approach. Now, the bonus question, we're out of here, because uh, people want to get onto the game. The bonus question, uh, you can't name the what we think are the three stars, Baron Browning, Tuff Borland, and, uh, and uh, Pete Werner. Who of those other linebackers will people be talking about by midseason as, man, this guy should have been playing a long time ago? More a long time ago. Oh, you stole, you stole my man. Go ahead there, now. I mean, there can't there can't be anybody else. I mean, that's just, and I think that this is a year I where first. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm surprised that you didn't, or that you said don't say Taraja Mitchell. Um, <laughs> I think that this is a a great situation for Ohio State to be in with those middle linebackers, and you know, people were clamoring in 2014. Why doesn't Raquan McMillan the full time guy? Well, you know, because Curtis Grant was healthy, elevated his play, and they were able to, 
you know, go back and forth and, and, and stay fresh. And both were able to provide leadership and understanding of the calls. And, and one did some things a little bit better than the other. And that can be the exact same case here that, look, Tough Borland is a guy that Ohio State simply wants on the field at middle linebacker. If you're going to go stop the run, and it, there's almost nobody better to do it. I'm not saying that he is an NFL linebacker. I, I know what his limitations are as well as anybody else um, in, in terms of the next level. Yeah, Roger Mitchell has the physical off the charts. It's, a, it's almost the exact same situation as Grant and Raquan McMillan once was, and that worked yeah. out perfectly. So this can be the year. You know, Taraja Mitchell takes a step forward, and then next year he becomes a true superstar. There's nothing wrong with that development plan. It has taken longer than he would have ever imagined. I get that. But um, sometimes there's good good reason for that, and he, he had to work through injuries and everything else. You know, I think that everyone will, will see him hit a bunch, and they'll be talking the way you, you, you teed it up there by the middle of the season. Yeah, since you stole my guy, I'm just going to say Kevon Pope and uh, – yeah. And Dallas Gant, and uh, you know, just sort of cover the waterfront with my two answers. I think both those. I mean, seriously, uh, awesome. I'm not. I really think they could put three new three other starters on the field. It'd be pretty damn good. Do you agree with that at linebacker? Yeah, I mean, there's still a bunch of people that don't know Justin Hilliard. Yeah. Outside of Columbus, and and I think that he's a guy who's going to play a lot, and he's got he's got a couple, you know, sort of. Well, I lift him out because him and I think he and Baron Browning are going to play a lot. I mean, yeah. at that spot. So go ahead. But even even beyond the two middle line, you know, true middle linebackers that I talked about there with Borland and Mitchell, you got Tommy Eichenberg. Like you have you have waves in every class of linebacker. It's crazy to think, Tim. You know, 2013, 2014, how thin that group was. Yeah. Even before that, you know when when Zach Bourne has to go in in 2012 against Indiana, but then, you know, they missed on the next clash with trade, trade Johnson and, and Mitt, you know, another, another Mitchell that, you know, didn't work out. Um, they were missing on linebackers and it was, that was a thin, thin group. And Luke Fickle helped revitalize it and build some of this up before he left. And yeah, they've got Al Washington doing some great work with them. They've got, they've got some freshmen and sophomores now behind this, this other wave of juniors that, that position is set up for a long time to come as long as they can keep that same patience that Dallas Gant, Taraja Mitchell, and Kayvon Pope have shown over the last couple of years as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, leaving out Justin Hilliard was a major faux pas on my part because, uh, like, you know, I, only because I expect him to play a lot. So, you yeah. know, that's that's neither, you know. And then past that, I, I always like to put a lot of uh, – uh, I always like to put a lot of juice behind when I when you get to talk to coaches – What's the name they throw in there you haven't been thinking about? Tommy Eichenberg was one of those by uh, uh, Al Washington. Uh, Jaden McKenzie by Larry Johnson. There's a guy that could really help on that defensive front because he mentioned him. I mean, there's a guy that's coming along. And, uh, you know, so we'll see. Like I said, I've said this a million times. I won't keep saying it. Uh, the great thing about an Ohio State football program at this moment is you have these guys that are rising within the program. You know, you're not looking at the free agent wire. Uh there are guys rising in the program who might be almost as good, if not as good, as the guys who are in the positions now. And you don't get that with every program. Just a little bit of uh, experience can go a long way, I think, for some of these guys like Taraja Mitchell, et cetera. So I agree with you on that. Last question, we're out of here. Ohio State's final record on December the 19th will be what? Nine and zero. Okay, my answer 
is eight and zero. Uh, there's no way. Oh, okay. No way they don't lose at least one game in this tight fit uh, Big Ten COVID nineteen era of trying to shove nine games into nine weekends. I mean, you got to remember, you know, Jeff Brom. You know, we'll see how whether his test was how accurate it was, but that little uh, that little uh, news bulletin over the weekend, you know, testing positive uh, over at Purdue. I mean. There's going – we know they haven't played Rutgers yet. You know what I mean? I mean, there are going to be these moments in this season when you're going to be getting ready for a game and you're going to be told to stand down. Uh, it may be your fault. It may be your opponent's fault. But that's a lot of people to keep in the same corral, so to speak, and I uh, think it's going to go nine straight weeks. I can't believe that I just missed an opportunity to make fun of Rutgers. I, yeah, you did. Just, I am – I'm – I'm not in midseason form, obviously. That's uh, dude, I gotta get get geared dude, up. Think, think about the possibilities that on December the 12th, if a few players come down with it that week on either team, I'm talking about the game. I mean, this is going to be a year like no other. It already has been. It's going to continue to be that way. You know, just buckle your seatbelts. I promised my daughter I wouldn't I wouldn't say COVID 19 on this podcast, but I. I just did because how can you avoid at least bringing it up briefly? This yeah. is going to be the most interesting season we've ever covered for all kinds of reasons. Agreed? Yeah, and um, that part is is still um, exciting, terrifying. All at yes. once. I mean, you you have to when you're doing what what we do and have done for a long time. That you don't ever really get to relax fully. Uh, when the season starts, because anything can happen um, at any time. And this has ramped it up 10 times, 100 times with um, you know, what an illness that could sweep through a team, a pandemic. Uh, yeah. I've never been around anything like that. So trying to get from you know one week to the next to, to project what's going to happen on December 19th uh, or December 12th, like it's – it's foolish almost to even look ahead that far. Uh, you said it early on, like it's Monday of game week when we're recording. You, you just hoped it, that you get to Saturday. And I hope that Ohio State and the Big Ten can do that nine straight times. I, I just hope it gets to Tuesday because uh, that's when this thing drops. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, as you and I both know covering Ohio State as long as I have and, you know, even as long as you have, stuff happens, man. This is a 24-7 kind of beat. has been for a long time. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, hopefully this this endures. Uh, appreciate my friend Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald coming on. Always appreciate Awesome Ward. Uh, by the way, I like Awesome Ward because it sounds like I'm almost saying Austin. So, you know, <laughs> it appeases both sides, both the people that don't like me calling you Boston, but it appeases my side to have a nickname for you. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, well, like I said, uh, for Awesome Ward, this is Tim May. Until the next Tim May podcast next week, we'll see you then. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.